Welcome back, everybody. This is Anthony, and you're going to be gardening with Anthony for about 30 minutes, maybe 45, if I really chew your ear well enough. And I want to hear what you have to say. Well, hello, everybody. Yay, we've made it to July, the 4th of July, and all those kind of fun things, Woo! and all that stuff. You know, I'm glad that we've finally gotten out of this ice-cold weather. You know, the Pacific Northwest has had probably one of the coldest springs that I've seen. Um, by comparison, the East Coast has went from zero to a thousand degrees in 3.2 seconds. So here we have a fantastic compare and contrast. But at this particular point, I have a feeling your poor plants don't know whether to wind their butt or scratch their watch. They don't know what's going on. And so I would like to take some time today and hopefully let's talk about what we can do to kind of help our plants along. Because at some point when we've gone from 65 degrees and in that kind of area with overcast to 80 degrees in a very short amount of time, then your plants end up becoming stressed and they end up becoming a little bit angry, shall we say. So let's take a moment to talk about how we can actually help our plants out. Because the fact is, is that if you remember last year, last year was hot. It was a very, very, very hot summer. I think we actually made it to 100 degrees last year too. And I remember all I did when you guys would come and see me at my garden nursery, pretty much all I did was water all day long because, well, everything gets dry so fast. So let's let's start taking a moment to talk about the heat and what it does. You know, when we have hot weather, and you have to understand the way plants actually uh, operate, plants do a process called transpiration. Transpiration is really basically a big word of saying they sweat, although you're not going to see the actual sweat, but they take the water that you're watering, giving them, they're pulling it up through their plant, uh, their, the entire plant, and then pushing out moisture through the leaves. So transpiration is something that leaves have to do. They all, uh, leaves also, of course, uh, photosynthesize, and they've got many other uh, jobs on them. But in this particular case, they're transpirating. So what we need to do is we need to be able to hold some of that in uh, I don't want to hold all of it in because it's natural for the plant to do that. But we do need to say, okay, it's been really, really cool for a long time. And now we've shot up in, in uh, temperature and you are pushing all the moisture out of your little leaves. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of step back for a moment. The first thing, of course, we really do want to do is we really want to make the correct decisions as far as plant material that will be in sun. Because um, one thing that has constantly amazed me is how many people don't honestly know how much sun they have. So for the sakes of giggles, let's define it right now. There is full sun that is at least nine hours of plant to sun contact. That's 
full sun. And so it'll be at least eight to nine hours or more of plant to sun contact. Then we have part sun, part shade, where part of the day it's in shade, actual shade. And then another part of the day, it's sun to plant contact. And then, of course, we have shade, which is all in actual shade. Now, those are going to be your three basics. Let's now talk about some of the in-between, more gray areas. We also have what's called ambient light. Ambient light is when it's in an area that doesn't receive direct light, but it's very, very, very bright. That's ambient light. We have dappled light. Dappled light typically is more prevalent in the springtime or in the fall. It is the light that shines through trees that hits the ground. So it casts a pattern of light and shade on the ground. That would be called dappled light. The only way you're going to know to do this, or, or I'm sorry, the only way you're going to know what you have is observation. So when you come to a nursery or when you come and see myself or another nursery professional, know your son, because sometimes when we hold the nursery professional responsible for they gave me the wrong plant, oftentimes what that is, is they, you, you, oftentimes the client does not know what son they have because they've never stopped and paid attention to it. Or my favorite is when I have a husband and wife and I say, what kind of son do you have? And they, one will say shade and one will say sun, at which point I just look at the both of them. I give them homework, send them home, go grab a, a bottle of beer or a bottle of wine. And I want you just to watch your son. At this point in time of the year, this is a good time to do that because we have the most sun now that we're going to have. So the first thing we need to really know is how to cultivate the right plant in the right area. So if we have full sun, those are going to be the plants that when it gets really, really hot out, those are going to be the babies that are going to really suffer by far the most. So we want to look at things that are very, very hardy. If you do not want to be in your garden while it's very warm, then we need to really think about things like rutabecchias, echinaceas, lavender, things of that nature. And those are going to be the things that will probably be the most resilient for hot, hot, hot days. Now, I want you to know that even, even those plants on occasion will wilt under the heat of the sun, and then the moment the sun begins going down, we'll perk back up. So that's something to keep in mind. One other thing, let's also uh, kind of take that and move a little forward. So we've made the right uh, plant connections, or we've already have the uh, plants in the ground. So one of the things we have to do is keep our plants healthy. Remember that when you are healthy and you eat right, and you get plenty of rest and exercise, you tend to be a very resilient creature. I know many people who are absolute health junkies that seem to never get sick. Yet I know people who burn the candle at both ends that seem to catch everything coming down the pike. Plants are not so uh, dissimilar than way as we are. 
Plants need to be healthy. That means when it's warm out, we need about four inches of water a week. That also means that they need food. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little disheartened when I hear people say I don't ever fertilize because then I would have to say, then do you never feed yourself or your children? Plants are not, plants have to eat. They need nutrients. They need micronutrients, trace elements, and primary nutrients. When we talk about the primary nutrients, which is what we're really going to talk about, we're talking about nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Nitrogen is what really, really promotes top growth. Phosphorus really promotes root development. And, and uh, uh, potassium, that's like vitamin C is to you and I. So it's really, really important that we make sure that when we go into these heat, these very, very hot, hot, hot days of summer, that we have these fellas healthy, vibrant, vigorous. They need to look like they could take on the world. So we need to always remember to put in a hard fertilizer in the ground. And if you're organic, then think, think of things like a spoma fertilizers. If you are fine with urea-drived fertilizer, let's think along the line of 10-10-10. Now, when we do that, keep in mind, no matter what the season is like, we really do want to hit it mid-spring. And then once again, by the midsummer solstice. The reason we're hitting these at these times is because there's about two months that these fertilizers are going to be active. So from mid-spring to the midsummer solstice is about two months, a little bit over. And from midsummer solstice into fall is just a teeny tiny bit over two months. So as these fertilizers begin to wane, then everything is getting ready to yawn and stretch and getting ready to go to bed for the year. So we need to make certain that our plants are very, very healthy. Another thing that you can do as far as food is concerned is we can also use water-soluble fertilizers. Now, when we use those, if, if things are in the ground, know that we need to do that weekly. And we really need to do foliar feed as well as a root drench. Let it get into the soil as well. But the plant can also take in those nutrients via the, uh, their foliage, hence the term foliar feed. So let's make sure that we really, really get everybody pumped up. Now, when it comes to watering, let's remember water in the morning. Do not water at night. Water in the morning. Now, if it gets really, really hot and we have 100 degrees plus or 95 degrees plus, you may find that things are outside and they're looking a little peaked. So you may want to go and put some, uh, put a gentle water stream on the ground. Remember that when it's really hot out, we do not want to wet the foliage down because we can end up burning foliage. So consequently, let's just water the ground really, really well and try to get some water down into those roots. The whole idea of watering slowly and watering um, deep is so that those roots can go down deep. This will actually, in the long run, keep you from having to water so frequently because the roots are going to go all the way down and be able to tap water that you may not be aware is there. So that's going to be a, that those things are going to be huge when it comes 
to helping our plants out when it's really, really hot. Another thing I want to talk to you about is mulches, compost, things of that nature. Now, it always astounds me, people who rake up their leaves and then put them in a bag and put them out for the garbage or for the uh, the uh, foliage removal people. And then they come to me and say, I need some compost. So what I want you to know is that those leaves are some of the best compost that you're going to get. They reflect heat, they reflect the sun, and they hold in water. Those are going to be pretty doggone amazing for you. Now, when it comes to your veggies, because I know a lot of you are, are big into veggie garden, again, compost and mulch. Of course, we all know that the difference between compost and mulch is just how you use it. That's all it is. Um, compost typically is mixed into the ground, whereas mulch is typically applied to the top. So all of that said, when you have your veggie garden, we really need to be able to regulate the water there too. So we definitely want to go ahead and put some mulch down. I'm a big fan, again, of the dried leaves. If you can't get dried leaves, I really recommend Malibu compost. It's There's nothing like it on the market. Uh, these fine people have literally cornered the market in awesomeness. And as somebody who's been doing this for a very, very long time, I rarely endorse products. But I can tell you that Malibu is number one when it comes to the actual composite of the product. It does what it says it's going to do. It's biodynamic. So you've got beneficial bacteria and enzymes and whatnot in there. And it's going to actually help reduce water loss. Now, I've heard a number of folks that use a, dye, a dyed mulch. Um, I want to spend just a second talking about that. Dyed mulch is oftentimes available at retail garden centers, but know that it is probably some of the cheaper stuff. And it has been suggested by various uh, fraction, uh, various uh, laboratories that dyed mulch is not good for veggies. So I want you to keep that in mind. Let's uh, keep everything on a very, when it comes to your vegetables, let's keep everything pretty organic and pretty natural. Really stick to the dried leaves, stick to uh, Malibu compost, the baby bows. And I think that you should probably be pretty good. Now, when the heat really comes on. I don't know if any of you remember last year at uh, my garden nursery, but I used to move trees around like crazy, um, typically because both aesthetics, but I was also creating shade. Many of us have containers that we have plants in. I do recommend if you've got a plant that is really, really, really in the ground that's really having a hard time with the heat, I love to create shade and I love to take and use my containers to help me create shade, uh, a little bit more shade for it. Other things that I like to use aside from those, but I really like using those as I love to do, if you're familiar with those triangular shade cloths that you can buy now at Costco, they're super, super cheap. I love stretching those out. Those provide a great amount of shade. They are easy to use, they're inexpensive, they're easy to put up and take down. And I've actually created frames for them in the past. 
I have taken wooden slats and simply created a frame for it. I tell you this because seriously, if I can do it, anybody can do it. But it's easy to do and it's easy to set up and it's easy to dismantle and it's easy to store away for next year. So think along the line. If you really just simply can't uh, figure that out, then another thing, and you're going to probably get a few snickers, but you know what? Who cares? Um, I'm a big fan of umbrellas. I have been known to take and to put an umbrella over a plant that looks like it's just struggling a little bit. When I see something start nodding out and going flaccid, that's usually a bit of a red flag for me. The first thing I'm going to do, even if it's hot out, is I'm going to look at the soil at the base. If the soil is visibly very, very, very dry, then I'm going to go ahead and add some water to the soil. It's not going to touch the plant, but it's just going to hit the soil. I'm going to give it about 45 minutes to an hour after I'm done watering it to be to see if I can get that baby to perk up. If he's really just kind of being flaccid and having a hard time being in the sun, and you know what, um, hydrangea macrophyllas, the uh, blues and the pinks, those are those are a variety that really have a hard time in full sun. I do not recommend those in the heat of the day. But when I see them, that's usually when I pop up umbrellas. Other, you know, other umbrellas, the umbrella on your, uh, on your table out on your deck is a great umbrella to use. Or you can also go to um, the home store or some of these discount areas and buy a really inexpensive one. I think I bought some for my garden nursery and they were like 30 bucks a piece. They're really inexpensive. And that's literally what I use them for is to help shade plants at my garden nursery. It's, it's very efficient when the temperatures break, then you can use the umbrella back for yourself or put it somewhere else in the garden. But they're really, really, really uh, very potent and easy to take care of because it really does provide a lot of shade. Now, what I think is really interesting is that I remember years ago when I lived in Atlanta and it was shortly after I got out of college, I worked at a nursery and I was out in a place called Snellville, Georgia. And if you're thinking Snellville, um, yeah, it's just as rural as you're probably thinking. So of course I had to drive about a country mile, all pun intended, uh, to get there. There was a fellow there on my way to work every day that I used to watch, he would do some really interesting contraptions to shade his hydrangeas. And I remember one morning, it was probably about 7 a.m. I drove by and he had an ice dump truck in his yard. He And I, I at that point, I just had to pull over and talk to him. He actually iced his hydrangeas down. Now, I found out that he also owns the local ice company, so I'm not necessarily sure that's such a great idea, but he told me these particular hydrangeas had a lot of sentimental value to them, and he needed to keep them happy and healthy and alive at all costs. So bringing in a dent truck of ice was one way that he found to do that. Evidently, it worked quite well because I know the last time I saw the hydrangeas were beautiful, they were lush, they were thick, 
and they also had a tarp uh, or a uh, tent over them so that it protected them from the shade and i'm pretty sure that he was continued to pack ice so there's a lot of different ways that we can protect our friends in the garden um some things let's talk about what not to do though uh, because sometimes when we learn what not to do it's a lot easier uh, it, it's actually more important than knowing what to do so some things we don't want to do is we don't water really want to water during the day as far as um like an oscillator or or um sitting out there letting the leaves get wet we don't want to do that because that's going to end up burning we never want to treat any of our plants during the heat with any type of insecticide at all organic inorganic doesn't matter we do not ever treat these our plants for pests and diseases during the heat of the day we are not going to do it at night either if you've got an issue that i'm going to strongly recommend get up a little bit earlier and spray your plants before it gets warm out now i'm a huge fan of a pl- of a product that is called orchard spray Orchard Spray is a py- is a combination of pyrethium and sulfur. It's put out by a company called Bonide, and I think all of your local garden centers probably carry it because it's that great of a product. And I do recommend getting up really early to put that out. Here's the deal: we can't say it's organic because we don't know how the chrysanthemums are raised, but we can say that it's natural. All of that said. We need to spray these before the bees become really active because if you spray a bee, it'll kill the bee. Now the bee can land on it after it's been sprayed and fine, but they just can't be uh literally soaked in it or coated in sulfur. So another thing is we never ever when we when we put out our mulch, some things I want you to keep in mind is we're never going to put it up against the plant. Uh because of course why? Because the plant breathes from the crown. So we never want to do that. Um we want to kind of take it where the drip line of the plant is at. The drip line is really if you look down on your plant and you see a leaf to the left and a leaf to the right and that circle around it, that is the drip line. If you have any more questions about the word drip line or the term drip line, um because i know it's a little bit awkward when we're you're just listening to it but you can go visit my friend tony at my garden nursery tell him anthony sent you and you want clarification on what is the drip line of a plant because this is pretty important not only do we not want to give our poor little plants a heat stroke but we certainly don't want to suffocate them as well as we continually move into summertime we really do want to continue to make our little friends um as happy as humanly possible oftentimes i have found that if i have a plant uh for instance say um say a primrose that is not doing so well some of the uh, perennial primroses then i will oftentimes find something like maybe i'll go buy a banana tree cuz they're very inexpensive you can keep them in the pot or you can put them in the ground they're probably going to be annuals unless you get a specific variety but i'll actually plant it over uh the primrose that's going to offer that primrose some reprieve from the heat of the day and give it a little bit of shade these are things that i think are really a great idea 
And it's uh, this will also begin familiarizing yourself with layering your garden. When we layer our garden, we're becoming much more like the gardens in nature. Uh, and when I say that, I'm really meaning like the woods or a very natural setting. Everything's very, very layered. So consequently, there is multiple different protections of sun protection, particularly for the very tender new vegetation that's on the bottom of the forest floor, because we have the tall trees that are absorbing most of the heat. That which is getting down goes to a second layer and a third layer, and then finally all the way to the ground. And you'll find that uh, typically in the ground of any forest typically tends to have a nice, cool, cool, cool vibe to it. So those are going to be some really important things. I always find that when I'm outdoors, if I ever wonder how my plants are feeling, um, how long can I stay, uh, sit outside and be comfortable? That typically will tell me if I, if it's only a few minutes, that's typically going to tell me that we probably ought to think about putting some kind of something up over whether it, you know, they're healthy, they're happy. We've done our, our due diligence there. So now maybe it might be time to kind of ratchet it up, maybe get uh, some kind of an umbrella or some kind of a shade cloth. That's never a bad idea. I lived in Atlanta, Georgia for a number of years. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to Atlanta, but when we're talking hot and humid, we are really, really talking hot. We're talking 100 degrees with 100% humidity, and you almost feel like you can't breathe. So consequently, I loved to go out there and you would oftentimes, particularly in the middle of the summer, you would look out into my backyard and you would see probably about 30 umbrellas because I go and I would buy as many as I could when I could find them like for three or four bucks at a time. And I would put them all over plants because that was a great, great way to help them out. But what I ultimately moved into is finding plants that are much hardier for the environment and any plant that I found that really, really, really struggled with the heat and with the sun. What I ultimately did is I actually switched those over to part sun, part shade. This is also now going to bring me to another part, uh, part of this where when we look at these tags that come with all these plants, it says full sun, what you need to know about these is that when it says full sun, know that that tag is going all over the country. And this is a generalization. And you know what? If you put something in full sun and it didn't quite work out, you're not the only one. I've done the same thing. And I think any competent gardener has because every person's garden is a little bit different. So what I ultimately did is I remembered those and I just very, very slowly, and it took a few years, I would take and I would replace those plants with something a little bit hardier there. And I would take the plant that may uh, kind of get a little wilty and I would put it in parts and part shade. Now I know that when we talk about parts and part shade, that in and of itself can be a little bit confusing because parts and part shade is a half day of each. Now all parts and part shade are not the same. What we have to know is, is it morning sun or is it afternoon sun? Morning sun is cooler, afternoon sun's hotter. So for instance, if we have rutabecchia or black-eyed Susan 
or cone flowers, we know that they can eat up the sun. They eat that for lunch. So we really want to put that in a half day, the later part of the day, and a good strong six hours at minimum. They can take all day. But a good, on the other hand, if we're looking at morning type sun, then that would be really, really great for things like bleeding hearts or dysentery, uh, either the spectabilis or formosa, whatever you have is good. Those are really great for the, so knowing which part of the day you get sun and shade is going to be pretty epic. And it's also going to help you out exponentially because this will also give you a place to say, okay, this one here got no shade and was full and didn't like it at all. So we're going to put this in either morning sun or afternoon sun. And then we're going to find something that can really, really handle that full, full, full all day sun. You know, one of my favorite plants for full all day sun. And I always tell people, if you ever wonder what will do well, look to the prairies of places like Colorado, uh, Kansas, um, any of your prairie areas. And in Washington state, think Spokane, because it is kind of prairie-ish, got a lot of flat land there before you hit some more mountains. And if you're in my neck of the woods, you know what, think South Jersey, because I tell you, when something is in or grows well in a prairie, you know that that gets absolutely no shade. Asclepsias or butterfly weed is so good with this stuff. And it'll attract butterflies for you. What's not to love about that? I love the plantings for sun of Asclepsias or butterfly weed and coneflowers and black-eyed Susans. What a great, great show for you. Three completely different heights and talk about bang for your buck. You have got from midsummer uh, blooming all the way into about the third frost. And you've just invited every hummingbird, every butterfly, and every pollinator known to human existence. Now, I will also give you a little bottom note that if you want to know about more about uh, butterfly gardening, um, you can definitely check out some great, great books on it or some, there's some great websites on it. But at the base, usually when I plant Asclepsias or butterfly weed, I always plant things like parsley around it. Parsley is one of their favorite places to lay eggs because it is nutritionally balanced to make their babies or their hatchlings, or I'm not quite sure what I would call them, uh, make them healthy. And then as they actually turn into butterflies, they have got the butterfly weed right by them, as well as uh, black-eyed Susan and coneflower. So all of that said, I really, really am hoping that your gardens are growing well, and you have once again been gardening with Anthony. I'm so glad you've joined me. Um, And just remember that we are coming to you every single first Wednesday of the month, And we will always give you some fun, relevant gardening information, as well as some of the more unusual techniques. And remember, if you have questions, give me a yell at askantony at outlook.com. And I hope next week or next week, next month, you join me for when we talk. We're going to take a little bit of a detour on that. We're going to start talking a little bit more about working with that spiritual element of your garden, because you know what? 
in August, what better time to do it than when the sun is out at Zenith and you are outside enjoying your garden. Let's play together. This is Anthony signing off. I hope you have the best month possible and stay cool and stay hydrated.